Um, Toby, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? We can. Um, okay. No. <laughs> uh, everyone, um, meet uh, meet Toby Long, um, who's coming to you from. Are you in Oakland or Berkeley? I always forget. I'm in Oakland. I'm up okay. in the hills. Who's, yeah. who's coming to you from uh, Northern California, though? He also does some work in Southern California and Northern California as well. Um, give me one second to uh, share your uh, your visuals. Um, everyone um, in the same. Uh, so first of all, Toby is an architect who I've had a bunch of experience with in different <laughs> um, different ways. Uh, he's been a really great resource um, for learning about the industry. Uh, and uh, unlike Proto, uh, where they own a factory, and Toby, please correct me if I'm wrong, Toby's uh, works with a, a variety of factories, but uh, is, uh, I mean, primarily um, sort of architect project management, stuff like that. Um, and I probably undersold you on that, but. Uh, <laughs> all good. <laughs> that, okay. um, all right. Let me, uh, let me pull up your slides quick. Yeah, go for it. All right. Cool. So let's see if this will work. Uh, share screen. Let's see. All right. So, uh, Toby, um, like with the proto presentation, um, what we'll uh, we'll try to do is we'll uh, just uh, spend a few minutes learning about you and your practice. Sure. Um, and uh, then we uh, can potentially go through uh, one or a couple of your projects. I have the Oakland one up right now. You, sure. you can see my screen, right? I can. Okay. Um, so we can walk through that one or one of the other presentations or one of the other uh, projects you sent along. But yeah. uh, to start, uh, it would be great to, I mean, I know, I, by the way, Toby's already done a podcast on prefab review. So um, you uh, have an opportunity to, uh, definitely learn even more about him uh, via that. If you want to listen to that, it's at the prefab pod. It's on our website. Uh, but to start, uh, can you just give a minute or two sort of brief on your practice, the kind of work you do? Um, yeah. And uh, how you get got into this. Yeah, totally. I mean, thanks, Michael. It's great to sort of see everybody. Hope everyone is uh, safe and well and hunkered down, I guess. Um, this is my the home studio-esque. I've got a lower part of my office uh, here in my house that we practice out of, and then I've got another physical office using a little bit less these days. Um, so yeah, no, it's great to be here. Thanks. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a licensed architect. I hold licenses in a few states and, you know, it drives from a early, I don't know, maybe obsession, maybe just uh, interest in design and architecture that kind of emerged for me as a kid. Uh, I grew up on the East Coast and had early exposure to design and construction actually through a pretty unique program in a public school, kind of pining for this uh, these days in <laughs> other areas, uh, and, and kind of stayed with it. Uh, after graduating from the Rhode Island School of Design, where I did my undergraduate, I moved to California and kind of started a practice right away. I ended up kind of with a good exposure to two sides of the industry, doing some design work and architecture as a teenager and then uh, working in construction as a summer job uh, taught me a lot about kind of the execution of building projects and getting from paper to uh, to the dirt. Um, and so it kind of carried with me, I don't know, maybe a little bit of an ego at the moment. I think I've lost that a bit, but um, I started a practice right away when I moved to California. This was in the mid 90s and did a few years of 
um, traditional kinds of building projects and maybe was never satisfied. So fortuitously, uh, around the kind of dot-com moment, I rubbed up against some entrepreneur types uh, that wanted to get into a business model that involved prefab construction and kind of hooked up my effort as the design arm of what we were building as Clever Homes. And uh, so, you know, over the last 20 years, I've been in this industry working uh, kind of from both sides of the table, uh, doing a little bit of what the proto guys have done and trying to systemize and bring together uh, kind of a platform and a, an opportunity for a material acquisition and kind of building a business around that uh, to sort of our current carnation, which is much more about design and project management execution. Uh, I've been working specifically in prefab for 20 years and have had uh, exposure to a great number of the systems and technologies that are more prolific across the country. Uh, we've done a lot of panelized stuff similar to what the proto guys have done and, and have found some really great opportunities there. Uh, we've done some steel buildings, of course, some of the folks that you've been uh, uh, interviewing, Michael, getting into that space. Uh, we've done some uh, uh, ICF concrete style construction projects. Um, and then we started getting into modular building, uh, volumetric modular construction, probably around 2007, 2008. Uh, that's really what sort of persisted for me uh, over the last 10, 12 years has been uh, working almost specifically in the volumetric modular space. Um, and we work on all kinds of projects. I have uh, uh, most of the work we do is residential in nature. Uh, we've had uh, great opportunities to work with clients building fairly modest homes, in fact, doing some affordable housing projects. Uh, we've now gotten into some much, much larger mixed-use multi-tenant projects. Uh, our bread and butter of the practice, if you will, is still uh, primarily single-family home construction. And uh, really what ties together everything in my practice is off-site construction methods. So uh, it's always been great to meet Michael and, and the great program that Prefab Reviews put together. Um, we're certainly evangelized and, you know, contributing to it in any way we can has been exciting for my team and I. Um, so really, you know, most of the work I do with clients, as I mentioned, is, is mo volumetric modular, kind of wanders all over the place in terms of scale and scope. Um, but we also bring a certain attitude towards our projects, which is a real uh, a bias for architecture and, and a design process. Um, I, I learned to be a professional architect here in the Bay Area. Uh, we don't have any flat lots. There's no easy jurisdiction. There's uh, nothing simple about a lot of the work that uh, I've been exposed to. And so I think my attitude towards prefab has kind of resonated with solutions that seek to look at these challenging sites. This Oakland project in particular was, you know, on a very steep hill. And I, I kind of sent it to you, Michael, just as an example of uh, doing modular projects in places where we've got uh, tight conditions. You can kind of see the power lines in one of those photos on steep sites where we did a lot of site work, a lot of excavation, uh, working in very narrow constraints, uh, and still really trying to put an emphasis on uh, architecture and design in an industry that I, I, I think often tries to move the design process into books and catalogs. Um, it's really great to be here with the Proto Guys because I think we share a similar uh, sentiment about the importance of design and flexibility in building construction, uh, particularly here in California, particularly in our urban areas where we just don't have a lot of uh, easy sites where the repeatability of design is a more certain process. Uh, so in my practice, we've built more of a, a template-like experience trying to balance out the best of the repeatable experiences of modular building and uh, tooling 
scaling, you know, where we can from structures to interiors, uh, but also recognizing that it's important that architecture responds contextually. Uh, and that's given us a great opportunity to work on a lot of challenging sites, all kinds of locations, HOAs and other tonier groups that try to get involved in this stuff too. So uh, that's a little bit of kind of how I got started and, and what looks like the, the future for the practice. Cool. Um, all right. So everyone, I know you have questions. Um, and uh, so please send them as we get them. Uh, Toby, if it's all right, um, I'm going to fire like five to 10 um, minutes of questions at you that are a combination of stuff people hear and what I would say are like greatest hits from our site. Uh, sure. And, uh, you know, whatever, answer them or pass. Um, I know you're pretty <laughs> frank on stuff. Uh, and then we'll, we'll get into one or two of your projects. All right, so just to start, uh, so again, get, uh, Toby, correct me if I'm wrong, but like this stuff that Toby does mostly, I, um, and not that Frodo does not do this, I would qualify as like high-end custom homes, a lot of which are in the Bay Area, some of which are in other places like wine country, Southern California, and as you said, some multifamily. But so for uh, projects like that, what are we looking at on a typical timeline if assuming the... Uh, the um, client you're working with is not holding you back, right? Like is not spending, you know, six months, you know, being finicky on floor plans, but is like pretty responsive. What, uh, yeah, what does the timeline look like for a project from start to finish? So, you know, just reflecting on experiences, particularly those over the last five years, um, you know, COVID land, I don't think has had a major change on this. In fact, there's probably been some improvements in a few different categories. Um, but generally, Michael, what I would tell people is that, you know, projects where we work take somewhere between a year to two years from concept to move in. Uh, I tend to see that mostly split down the middle between the amount of time we spend uh, in design, engineering, permitting, and team building, uh, and then uh, about a similar amount of time in the site. And I think there's some reciprocation there. You know, if it takes longer to permit all but the more tonier groups uh, getting involved in the design process, generally it's some reflection on the complexity of uh, you know, the construction stage or, or vice versa. So um, uh, most projects we work on probably have about six to nine months of overall, uh, again, planning and permitting period, what I call act one, uh, and then more or less probably about six to nine months for the majority of the construction stage, uh, final utility connections being the one that drives everybody crazy these days. But more or less, that's a pretty fair time frame. Cool. So if we had to break that down into... You, you can decide the best ways to break that down. I assume that I think of it as like kind of like sort of design just to get to like plans that are like, you know, well-designed and engineered, then permitting, then, uh, you know, foundation and um, pre and uh, whatever uh, fabrication, um, right. Which can theoretically happen at the same time. And then uh, right. The, whatever the setting of the modules and finishing do you think you can break down kind of sort of a range of time frames um, on some of those like different areas? Sure. Um, and also if I missed any sort of- Yeah, no, I, I, I think about it pretty simply. I, I think that, so the very first thing we do with clients is a conceptual study. We usually design a building. We look at the economics. We understand the regulatory issues. We start to build a little bit of a basis for specification uh, and we produce some schedules that drive you know, our, our process. Um, uh, that's about a month. 
Um, so then we launch from there into the project. If it looks feasible and, and we're progressing, uh, we would expect probably about uh, a month to maybe two of design and visualization modeling. We do a lot of walkthroughs and renderings and, and this kind of thing. Uh, we would expect probably about a month to maybe a little bit longer in the technical stage of doing engineering. Most permitting in our area takes about three months, similar to, as Proto guys explained, you know, in LA, we're seeing about two to three months, but I think it's closer to three. Uh, most jurisdictions are taking about 30 days, at least in California, uh, of their obligatory just review period. And I don't see people moving a lot faster than that. Uh, and then usually by the time we're through that, you know, final permit moment. Usually the state has already issued the permit, of course, an understanding that volumetric modular construction across the U.S. is regulated at the state level. Uh, and we'll often put into construct, you know, we'll put the modules into fabrication sometimes even before we have local permits issued. Uh, gives us a little bit of a jump on the overall timeline. So maybe a month of conceptual, about two months of design, probably about a, maybe two months of engineering, and then, you know, two to three months of permit work puts it really in that six to nine month window. Um, different urgencies will drive. Uh, we came all into a, a code crush at the end of last year. That got things moving a little faster. Um, and then we're seeing, you know, planning commissions and stuff taking longer if we have to go through design review processes. And are you, are you doing much, uh, many, I think you've done one or two of these. Are you doing many ADUs on uh, the back of sort of finished homes already? Um, or is that We've done ADUs in combination with larger building projects. Um, I find the ADU market to be tough, um, particularly sort of in the work that we do. Um, I love the ADU market, a little bit more prescribed, a little bit more specialized. Steve Vallejo, for example, being a great guy you recently interviewed, uh, who's just really built a solid book of business specifically with the specialty of backyard structures. Um, so I'm not seeing a lot of that right now as individual ADU projects, but as part of our larger efforts, we, we do those. Got it. Okay. So from, cause from a timeline, we've seen those move a little faster, but it sounds like you're not really doing. Oh that. yeah, no, definitely. Most of the jurisdictions around us have opened up the opportunities for ADUs to be very streamlined experience. Um, and you don't get into the same uh, kind of regulatory complexity that we do in a lot of our projects. Got it. Um, do you think you can, again, the cost thing comes up a lot. We've already had like two or three questions about it for you. Um, what, uh, yeah. Do you think you can break down maybe sort of similarly, modular costs, site costs, and um, soft costs. And if you want, we can even do it in the con in the context of like the Oakland project or some of these projects that have right crazier sites, um, just so people can understand that. Yeah, I mean, I so most of the work that we're doing is pretty consistent uh, economically. Now, I do think that the categorization of those investments shifts, obviously, if you've got to build big retaining walls, you know, maybe you don't have a hot tub or something because you've got to figure out how to balance out budgets. Um, a lot of the projects we work on are, you know, again, pretty consistent economically. What I'm seeing in the market, uh, you know, a little bit of a mention that as or an aside, you know, I, what we do in our work is we try to help our clients access the larger prefab industry. Um, I, I work from my client side of the table. We uh, love to go out into the larger market to talk to, you know, generally several factories. Uh, I do believe that the construction transactions historically have involved a little competition. Uh, we like to try to have a bit of that competition in our work so that we're able to talk to a number of different resources to evaluate costs. Uh, that becomes a key ingredient for partnership. However, nonetheless, the specifications we're using and just the nature of the work that we seem to be engaged in is pretty consistent. What we're seeing right now in the marketplace on the modular, modular side with basically completed structures on the in 
interior, uh, you kind of get a little glimpse down there in the corner of what it looks like on the outside. They're mostly weather wrapped. Uh, we do all the siding on site, that stucco, that wood, exactly. There's a good image of sort of the last module being set for that project at the end of the day. Uh, so those modules we're seeing right now, right around 200, 225 a square foot uh, for modules. And then on total project budgets, which is really how I prefer to look at a lot of this stuff, sort of top to bottom investments, uh, we're seeing project budgets right now that are somewhere in a four, four to $500 square foot range, kind of on average uh, for most single family homes. Some of these are getting a little higher. We're getting a little higher specification in some of the projects these days. Um, the way I see that breaking out in the work I'm doing is about 50-50 in the construction stage, uh, about 50% of the investment being made towards the prefabricated modules about a similar investment being made in things I would associate with hard construction on site. Uh, and then we would dose that with the soft goss, which do range from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Uh, just as an example, and for people out of the Bay Area, this might sound a little shocking, but the water meter for that house right there was probably about 70 grand. Uh, and so, you know, unfortunately that's unaffected by prefabrication. That's just buying into the uh, East Bay water grid. But all said, we're trying to balance out budgets right in those zones. Got it. That makes sense. And um, in terms of when you're talking about the greater sort of prefab market, are you you're mostly just talking about kind of shopping around to the different factories? Or are you talking about other uh, sort of parts of the industry? Is like, are there other? Are you mainly talking about the kind of uh, manufacturer side, or are you talking about other parts of the industry as well? No, I think more specifically fabricators, right? These uh, shops and companies that build offsite construction. Um, you know, my rough rule of thumb for most clients is eh, probably around a thousand to maybe 1500 miles. We start to hit the bleeding edge of where transportation really gets too expensive. Uh, so obviously our projects range. If we're in SoCal, that looks like a little different group than if we're working up in the North uh, the Bay Area here. Uh, obviously Colorado's got a slightly different set of conditions and then East Coast projects, it's a whole different set. So it's really the factories that are around the sites that we're working with and trying to align, you know, the vision of the project at our end with what the fabricators do well. Uh, you know, we work in a process that is very much about contextual design. These buildings are constructed once. Uh, we're not, you know, we wouldn't build this house anywhere else. It wouldn't fit on the hill anywhere else. Uh, and so really the, that's a sort of subset of fabricators that do one-off fabrication. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and again, like these, we, like our site, we've interviewed a ton of these people, right? Like the method, sure. the plant prefabs of the world. They're, They're all our favorites. Right. <laughs> we love everybody on your site. Exactly. So yeah. So this house uh, was so, built by Oh, sorry. So what, what I was going to ask is like, one of the things I have a hard time, and by the way, everyone, uh, we, we're sort of starting these events as um, out of uh, whatever, <laughs> out of your home events, um, just because of the world we live in. But the hope um, in terms of where these events go long term is that we start doing like factory tours and sort of using our platform to give you more kind of one on one experience with this stuff. Um, so anyway, I mean, I've done a lot of them at this point. Um, how do you um, and I'm sure you've done, you know, 20 times as many as I have. Uh, how do you, when you're trying to figure out diligence for these people and like, who do you want to work um, with beyond them, like showing, oh, hey, I've done these pre um, projects. What are the criteria you're looking for? Because I mean, that continues to be beyond like sort of people's personal experience, sort of challenging to understand. Uh, like there's some technologies that it seems like people are, some of the factories are starting to adopt to stay more organized. But beyond that, I'm still, still sort of curious about the best way to kind of figure out who's good and who's not good. 
It's a tough question, Michael, especially as we all maintain some, you know, hope, optimism, and uh, uh, expectation that there's going to be new entities coming into the space. I mean, it's a, it's a, the, the, the world is busy in the prefab sector, and uh, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurial uh, opportunities and a lot of entrepreneurial types that find this market uh, uh, potentially uh, in, in a, a home for innovation. So I, I think it's a really good question. I mean, I tend to be pretty simple with it. I, I think that, I mean, I hate to say, it, but I think, you know, personality goes a really long way. You got to like who you're working with. Obviously that doesn't get you across the finish line, but I do think that, you know, the, the cast of characters that's associated with a company and uh, a, certainly someone as, uh, as intimate as your fabricator or your builder, you know, we really got to like who we're working with. I think that's a first, a first step. Um, I do think you can gate even today around availability. Um, not everybody's going to have a spot and I don't think people wait six months to save six months. Uh, and so I think that there's a certain time issue. Um, obviously the economics become an important part of this. Part of the reason I like to go out and to solicit initial feedback from a variety of factories is because I do think having worked with homeowners for 20 years, people do better after they've seen a few bids, feel like they've done their homework and have discovered the economics of a few companies. Uh, we definitely encourage factory tours, which I, you know, e are easy to do in some, so some folks and not for others. And we'll even get into more deeper conversations about, you know, company capitalization, whether or not there's been money raised, you know, what's on the pipeline, you know, that kind of thing. Um, for better or for worse, the industry that I'm kind of part of the industry I'm in, you know, there's not a ton of fabricators that do these kinds of projects. Um, and so there's some reliability in that small community. Uh, but I do think that the ambition to bring on new folks is going to continue to make this a, a pretty significant question for people. Yeah, last question on this, and then we can cover your projects. And this is sort of a funny one. So you, you guys can hear, I've interviewed, I don't know, 30 uh, different fabricators and almost everyone says some version of, um, you know, well, other people don't build like we build and they like, right, cite like how few millimeters their cuts are and like um, our values and stuff like that. Um, and it's right in like, you know, in many of the, many of the, these uh, manufacturers are pretty high quality and do have different LE um, lead rated uh, projects and stuff. Um, like to what extent is that marketing spiel and to what extent uh, are like, are there good ways of like trying to tell the difference? Because I mean, again, it's something that's challenging for me to understand. Um, you know, I think, not so dissimilar to um, how Proto operates, you know, mostly I've come at this expecting that our kit of parts is more or less a conventional kit of parts, right? That, that bringing in uh, a new this or a new that, I think, exacerbates this question you're asking. You know, how, how do I know that this new technology is as good as you say it is going to be? Um, I think that's a different issue than uh, building a set of standards and expectations, not only, you know, kind of from our end, I think our work reflects, you know, our expectation of how factories and builders perform. Um, but we also author, you know, fairly tight specifications in our projects that do control for a lot of this. Um, there's, you know, everything from the contractual expectations to just simply the process uh, in which we're engaged with 
um, the factory partners. Um, there's oversight we're providing vis-a-vis, you know, our factory tours, clients, factory tours, people watching things happen in motion. Uh, the inspection process is rigorous. A lot of the companies that we're working with are all also providing a weekly quality review where it's, uh, at least in COVID land, has been a lot of FaceTime and, and videos that have allowed people a chance to see things. So, you know, on the hype side, I don't know. I mean, I think I can be critical of the prefab space in lar- at large that we, we get people pretty revved up about things that um, may or may not be true. Uh, I think there's, you know, different motivations for different companies and how people engage their marketing platforms, you know, definitely wanders uh, all over the place in the prefab world. Um, I tend to try to see it a little bit more as a straight building project with some very, you know, somewhat conventional expectations around the delivery of a quality product uh, and then applying a more or less somewhat expected uh, follow through from inspections to, you know, photography to, you know, again, our clients go to, go to the factory usually several times, uh, to at least perform kind of their own review process. So, um, I guess I'm not so uh, sold on the emerging technologies, but I do believe that the prefab world does have some really, uh, great folks that are committed to building quality homes. Um, and, and in with, you know, a more or less conventional palette of materials. I don't know if that answers your question, but. Oh, that's helpful. Um, so let's uh, let's run through or walk through one of your projects. Um, like we can do either the Oakland, the Palo Alto, or the Truckee one. So you can maybe sort of walk us through some of the design work you do, sort of think the things to look at, um, how it came about, and then we'll do some user questions. I mean, for some uh, listener questions. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, all these are on my website. People can spend a little bit more time as they want. But mostly, this is you know, I just wanted to kind of pull out three of them that I thought photoed well, but that also kind of represented a little diversity in terms of things that. You know, I often get asked, or, or sometimes mythology about the prefab space. I, I think that there's an expectation that, um, you know, design is tooled and engineering is tooled and that the, you know, uh, that, that this is, an, is some sort of s- system where we're taking an A and a B and adding it together. And, you know, I get a lot of questions along these lines, you know, can you build on hills? Can you, you know, work in snow country? Can you, you know, do these other things that I, I think I sort of pulled these projects out. If you want to open up any of them, I'll just share a couple of thoughts about what, what was sort of just something interesting to look at, you know, for these kinds of projects. So the Oakland house, you know, very personalized. This is a, a savvy client. They had a lot of design input. Um, they kind of knew a lot about what they wanted when they saw it. So there was an opportunity to really, you know, capture a lot of that personalization in the design. I think more importantly for this one, it kind of reflects on just difficult topography and a difficult site. Um, this also uses, and you can just kind of spin through yeah, these. Let me know if you want me to. Yeah, no, just keep going through. So this also uses, you know, I mean, it's a sort of nice palette of materials. Um, it uses, so like this was a custom built staircase by a local metalsmith. Uh, it actually worked out being very, very affordable. This is a, I mean, affordable, it's a $28,000 stair, could have been a lot more. Uh, but it happened through a, a local fabricator. So this was a, just a little Scott shot of something that, you know, does show up in all of our projects, which is, is a site? This that was built on site. I was yeah, say, that's, trying to figure out how to do that in pieces. It would have been interesting. Yeah, it's a combination. It was actually brought to the site in three pieces. So it was difficult to get in the door. But that low door you see down there on the lower left is actually into the garage. So that's actually a site built section, which exists below the modules. That's effectively below grade at the rear of the building. The upper section, uh, or the upper two sections are modules, which had uh, this volume built in the modules. And so as they were set, the temporary framing was removed. That created the double 
double height space. Uh, and then after the bulk of the sheetrock was finished, the stair fabricator brought in the staircase that they were fabricating on the side. Uh, and so that was uh, just kind of a nice example of a way of integrating, you know, a site built element. This wasn't something that we wanted to try to force into modules. It was too important of a, uh, a, a moment in this house, you know, living on the hill, the staircase is such an important part of your life. Uh, these clients were pretty dedicated to that. So you can flip, flip to the next one. Um, so, you know, just a, a kind of representation of diversity of, of kitchens, you know, this was sort of a fun moment. We had a lot of views out of these windows across the bay. And so, uh, you know, we thought the kitchen needed these, this sort of window setup. Uh, and, and so this is just, you know, very personalized kitchen, high quality cabinetry produced basically at, uh, by the factory, uh, really open-ended specifications to that degree. We also manage a kind of canned solution on the interior so we can, you know, serve up the bathroom if we need to. But I do find these are places that people really enjoy investing themselves. I, I kind of think the design is sort of the fun part of this uh, experience of building <laughs> and sort of something to celebrate. So, so are you, so are you, because your, your projects are custom in nature, does that mean you're spending um, a significant portion of time with clients figuring out, um, you know, materials, fixtures, appliances, stuff like that? Some, yeah, some. I mean, this was a spot where the you know client basically wanted to really invest themselves. I think we probably had some bathrooms in this that were just off the shelf. You know, we have a we've done a million bathrooms at this point, so it's pretty easy for me to say, you know, here's the tile, here's the faucet, here's the tub, here's the toilet. Uh, but we also try to work with our clients uh, and and not to belabor it, but to have the experience of you know finding the inspiration photography from all of our great websites in the world and aggregating them into things that really reflect on their personal experiences. Um, you know, but I work with developers too, Michael, and they don't want to deal with any of this garbage. They just want it done, you know, sort of, sort of depends upon what our clients are looking for. Um, we've really tried to tune our process so that if people are interested in, you know, geeking out on the kitchen, there's every opportunity to do that. And, you know, if people would rather have it go off the shelf and snap your fingers, you know, we can do that too. So usually it's somewhere in between. Um, and it is a collaboration, you know, we didn't, we came up with some parts of the design, but the cabinet makers, you know, pretty deep into this stuff too, really helping out outline, you know, the bells and whistles of all the cabinetry. So go ahead and flip it. Um, and then there's a few site photos. So here's a, like, you know, a nice pocket door. That thing all folds into that wall uh, where that painting is. So that all goes away. You can kind of see some of those retaining walls that are, you know, on the okay. steep hillside. Just again, sort of a bathroom image, sort of, uh, you know, tuned to those folks. Here, setting it on the site. Go to the next one, I think is a little bit telling. So we saw that one. You know, so this is all in amongst power lines. Power lines are one of the biggest sort of challenges in modular construction. And so this project just, you know, it threads the needle. Those, those lines go across the street where that truck is coming in, and they go back across the street right in front of this house. And so we had a small window where we were able to do this. But uh, you can work in and around power lines. So it's not out of the question to be able to uh, accommodate challenging sites do you ever end up we've we've done a few projects where people then actually ended up rolling stuff on uh yeah it works well works well for single story it's really tough for two-story buildings um we've tried to do some shoring systems but at the end of the day you know projects pivot on economics and the more expensive you make this stuff the less likely it is to happen so go ahead and go to the next slide uh, yeah, so just last mod of the day. So we can bounce to these other two pretty quick. Um, if you want to just, you know, go back to those. I know we're going to be pressed on yeah. time. Let's uh, let's do um, one more and then, or oh. actually, um, and then we'll uh, cover any questions that other sure. people have. 
So why don't you just go to the politics is cool and why don't you go to the Truckee house? Yeah, that one's just, let me oh. go back to politics. Again. So that's just kind of a cool moment. Or if you go back to that, I'm just going to show something sort of interesting. So look at that PA4 uh, image, which is kind of a cool one, you know, that, that we can be inventive with this stuff. You know, modular building isn't just a, a you know, a stodgy old thing. This is an exciting experience of collaboration and design and, you know, working within the framework of a predictable and, uh, and an affordable building process. So this is actually a, uh, two mods that join but without a corner and so we were able to open up the whole thing it involves some steel it was some complexity there but you know it gets a really great result for that indoor outdoor relationship that people are always looking for so that's all of that one people can see the rest of it somewhere else um, and then I think the Truckee house is just a great indication that you know we can build in tough zones I mean as you know Michael from your experiences you can yes. still do this stuff up in snow country uh, this was a project that um, you know shows well it's in a uh, it's in a Tony community <laughs> up in Truckee but this is Marta's camp this is Marta's camp, camp yeah and this is a module project that has a lot of um, site build elements as well this sort of larger form you see in the center as you flip to these photos uh, I think there's one that shows even in the uh, construction photographs that um, I know, everyone, Marta's camp is sorry to interrupt is a it's a fancy community next to North Star just just for the yeah it's a high-end resort community I think a pretty successful one and it's spun off a lot of you know expectation in the area for kind of a mountain modernism and we work with clients that are building houses that are a lot less you know appointed and at much lower budgets but I think people find inspiration in a lot of what Marta's camp has been able to demonstrate using a mountain modern language um, but if you just jump through that for a second you can see uh, especially one of those construction photos I just put in because it's a nice representation of, you know, some elements. So this whole section here, you know, this was built on site. This is a very open span, clear, you know, volume with a lot of glass and some steel and a big giant door that folds away. And, you know, we also look at this process very pragmatically and places where I think we have design challenges that we can't solve using modular construction. We use, uh, you know, panelized systems or, or site built. This was a prefabricated steel uh, frame that was basically infilled with glass. Cool. Very pretty. Yeah, it's good space. You know, it makes for a nice room. Um, just kind of click through. There's a bunch of these in here. Um, you know, this is this was in the module looking kind of adjacent. You know, these are, yes, yeah, so this is like the kitchens in the mod. And you can kind of see those spaces. So this building, if you jump to sort of the, some of the images towards the end, um, you can see uh, some of these construction photos. Um, so this is at a distance. Go one more or two. This is one of the mods being placed adjacent to what you see weather wrapped in white. So here's a good image. So you can see yeah, that's the field built section in white. That was weather wrapped while I was waiting for the mods to show up. Uh, and then we set them adjacent to the uh, modules. And if you go one more, you can see just kind of a nice image of the site built sections, which are in steel, which were right. prefabricated and installed ahead of time. And then the sections, which are the mods, uh, which have sort of sit in and around that building. And then there's just a few photos, I think, from the year after this was built where they had <laughs> 10 feet of snow right. outside these things. So, you know, they're robust. You can design them to fit in any climate or environment. So how much and how many, what do you usually see in terms of, right? Like, so obviously, right. So I don't know if truck is, you have to do 200 pounds or 300 pounds snow loads, um, but uh, maybe, maybe more. Um, but uh, how much does that end up adding from a cost standpoint typically, do you see? Well, you know, I think if you took the same house that was on the coast and you brought it to Truckee, you know, you'd probably add, I don't know, 20% in your overall, at least structural costs, if not yeah. more. 
Um, you know, the work that I'm doing, my, my sort of pitch to clients is that I don't know that your budget has to change per se. It's just that we may have to spend more in steel or framing or, you know, weatherization and winterization. And, and so it may mean that we have to find other places where we're going to, you know, offset costs. Uh, it's really an experience of balancing out the amount of work on the site, which, as I said, is about half the effort with the stuff that we do offsite uh, in the projects we work on. There's always an equal investment of time and energy. And I don't believe you can buy a prefab house until you know how much your driveway costs. It just goes together. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's easy to relate that. Obviously, the, there's also the rising expectation challenge, right? So you go into some of these communities and house values increase, then you've got to add things that really, you know, measure up to those investments. So, um, yeah. And last question for me, and then um, maybe we'll have one more or two more. Um, what do you, uh, I mean, we've seen all, all different flavors of this. What do you typically see um, from people um, who do not go all cash as sort of a financing plan. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I love the strategy, you know, the protostake and the, if there's an easy path through financing, it definitely opens up a lot of gates. Um, we've found that there's a few lenders that we've been able to work with that uh, like the modular space and have some programs uh, for modular construction financing. Um, at the end of the process, uh, per state law, it is a you know permanent building. Uh, it doesn't have any legal distinctions. Um, whether or not, again, it's part of a sales process or not, as Protoguy says, can't can or not be. But but at the end of the day, under at least California law, it's a same structure. Uh, that said, um, you know, as you mentioned, Michael, the draw schedule on the factory side tends to be a little bit wonky because the factories are, are working ahead of, you know, the site installation. Um, so we found a few lenders. That's one issue. We've also found a couple of options where we've um, connected bridge financing, uh, where essentially it allowed for the factory to be funded through another financing source. And right. then as soon as the building was on the foundation, uh, you can go back to going down of the construction loan uh, is a little bit more accessible. That works well for, you know, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, the other folks that are doing more conventional financing. Um, so yeah, I think that's just a question. We've also found maybe at the end of it all, regardless of the solution, uh, factories have strong motivations to figure this out too. <laughs> they want to make the sale. So, you know, we've been able to get the factories involved and they've been able to connect the dots on a couple of, uh, different, uh, project opportunities. Um, but there's a few ways that we've seen this come together. It's definitely a little different experience than just going and get straight, straight construction financing for a conventional project. By the way, um, and we, we have last couple questions, but uh, everyone, like, you can uh, you can look at our website. We have some guidance on some of the lenders. Like, a lot of the high-end uh, manufacturers tend to like uh, Umqua, UMPQUA. Uh, U.S. Bank tends to play in some of these places. Like, there's a handful of them, at least in California, that we, we see a lot. And then there's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's somewhat regional. So some of these people, if you want to build a house in the Hamptons, will work with you. And a lot of the times it's like a different set of lenders based on region. Um, uh, okay. So, uh, okay. Last couple of questions. So what's the, what's the highest performing uh, building you've built? Um, this is from the audience in terms of, I, I guess what they're most interested in is, I mean, they say net zero and passive house. I assume almost everything you're building in California is net zero these days, um, which doesn't necessarily, I think you're going to say the same thing. I am doesn't necessarily connote high performing as much as just having a, an expensive solar panel system. Um, but uh, it'd be good to hear about kind of how you thinking about high performance buildings. 
Yeah, I mean, I so I mean, it's a it's a great question because I you know it's a sort of a different question now than it was. Uh, gosh, you know, fifteen years ago when I first started in this industry, or even twenty, and just getting out of the, out of the gates. Uh, you know, green building had a very different sort of place in our process collectively uh, than it does now, being baked into Cal Green as of two thousand ten. Um, and so, from our end, um, you know, we've built several lead platinum projects um, as a sort of rating system uh, goes. We have two living building challenge projects that we're working on. Uh, we built a lot of firsts. Uh, one of the first that we did with some pride was we built the very first off the grid building in downtown San Francisco, which was great, which is uh, completely off the grid except for its water line, which was required by the fire department. Um, so, you know, that's uh, kind of the way I see it as a volume knob. Um, we can add in the specifications and standards to our clients' goals and motivations. Uh, obviously, code compliance is your baseline. Uh, but uh, from there, you know, these things can go pretty far, as you say, just beyond solar panels into, you know, thinking about sustainability in all of its, you know, requisite categories. Um, there's no limitation on how much performance can be built into one of these projects, and we've gone uh, pretty far down that road. Uh, I find it to be very uh, cost, you know, relates to cost and investment. Yeah, so if, if I want to do that, um, and by the way, you're, you're very ahead of your time with the... Uh... San Francisco off the grid system with all with all the blackouts in the uh, <laughs> the last few weeks, unfortunately. Um, but uh, what's the best way to like get expertise? Is that something you, as an architect, end up advising on? Do you end up bringing in outside consultants um, who are experts in this stuff? Yeah. So we'll we'll do a lot of the single family stuff in house. Um, you know, I have several architects that work for us. We have a team of about fifteen architects. Uh, several of them are quite well versed in uh, sustainability practices, lead standards, uh, rating systems, etc. Uh, for some of the larger mixed-use multi-tenant projects we're working on, we have a big 400-unit uh, project we're working on down in the Palm Desert. Uh, we brought in some outside assistance to help us with certification and, and uh, sustainability uh, standards, sort of our green building consultant, uh, which gets a little deeper if the technologies are more complex. Um, but most of the stuff that we're working on that's at least just a, a, a conventional high standard, we'll, we'll try to do in-house. Um, but we've been able to aggregate a pretty progressive team of folks that, you know, advise us when I hit kind of the wall on my knowledge base. And then, yeah. And then I guess final question, it looks like, unless someone asks another one, is uh, what, what, what are the expectations around warranties on these types of builds? So warranties follow state law. Um, the state law for construction is that the builders provide, so the, so the fabricators are licensed builders under state law, as are, of course, the site contractors. Um, they're beholden to state contractor law, which requires a 12-month um, uh, a performance guarantee. So essentially anything in the building which has issues for the first 12 months is covered under the contract with the builder and the factory. Uh, they all maintain 10 year structural defect liability. Um, and then of course, all of the products built into the house, none of which are, you know, novel or unique, um, all carry, you know, individual warranties. So whether or not that's roofing products or appliances, um, they're easy to source. So, um, sometimes it does influence a little bit with the conversation about financing, how the contract works. Uh, some of our clients will contract directly with factories, which is a different warranty claim than if you contract directly with a general contractor who essentially acts as prime GC and brings in the factory under underneath them, that's a different chain. So, um, but there's no uniqueness to the warranty outside of, you know, the state laws and or just the requirements or opportunities that a factory would, you know, provide for the, the, the system that they're building. Got it. Um, 
Perfect. I think we uh, got through all the questions. Toby, cool. thank you so much for Can the- Can I ask uh, you a quick question? Oh, nice. Yeah, please. Um, uh, I'm wondering how, I mean, over a, a, a existing single story structure, how far can you crane a module back? So it depends on how big of a crane you rent. Um, mostly rule of thumb is 100 feet is going to really start to push the limit on a more or less conventional rig. So we try to stay at that 100 feet. As you go out, you know, it's right physics. So as the crane gets further and further I horizontal. I understand that, but can I yeah, need to go farther than 100 feet? So 100 is that feet. possible? 100 feet can do it. Uh, more than 100 feet? Yeah. Y yeah, you, you have to check the crane diagrams. It depends on what you're lifting. And I, I mean, I, I would call Maxim Crane. We put a lot of people to Maxim. They're a huge company. They got equipment all over the place, and they could probably answer that question pretty quickly. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Any other questions? Um, Sharon, you, uh, you you got around my, my muting of the audience, so can good oh. job on that. <laughs> it's all good. Um, anyway, uh, all right. Thanks, everyone else. Um, this has been an awesome first event. Toby, thank you for the time. Um, and uh, yeah, expect, uh, expect another uh, announcement about an event in the next couple of weeks. So thanks again, everyone, and uh, have a good night.